still in church history or back to church history this morning. It's actually uh, kind of interesting the way the Lord works. So Aaron was supposed to teach this morning and um, he texted me, I guess it was on Tuesday and um, about his grandmother passing away. And he asked if I could swap. Well, for some reason, even though I had actually even put the right date on my presentation, I had in my brain that I was already teaching today. I, I don't even know why. And he, when he texted me and said, would you be able to swap with me? I was like, um, I looked at the date, the calendar real quick. I was like, yeah, sure. Because <laughs> I'd already been preparing for today. Um, just, uh, it's funny how the Lord can even use our own mistakes for his purposes. And so thankfully I was already preparing for this morning and Aaron will uh, swap and teach next week. But this morning, we're going to be talking about a very interesting ancient document. Has anyone heard of the Didache? Didache, it's been, some people pronounce it differently. I've heard it pronounced the Didache, and so that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. Um, it is a very, very old document. Let's see here. The, uh, the word didache, um, you may have heard the word didactic. It just means teaching. Uh, for instance, some of the Psalms, if you divide up the Psalms, you have Messianic Psalms and you have um, praise Psalms and you also have didactic Psalms, which are just teaching Psalms. So that's where the word comes from. The full title is the Lord's teaching through the 12 apostles to the nations. Very, very old document, one of the first extra biblical documents um, that we have, dates back to somewhere between 70 and 100 AD. It could have been written before the book of Revelation, which is interesting. There are some who actually thought it should have been in the canon of scripture, but it didn't quite meet all the uh, qualifications that they used for canonization. The author is not known. Um, Um, but what is interesting, it was that this document has been known about for a long time. It was quoted by people like Athanasius in the three or four hundreds, I forget, in there. But in 1873, it was discovered, an archaeologist discovered a full copy of the Didache in Greek. And then later it was actually a Latin copy was discovered around 1900. So it's been known about for quite a while. And what is interesting about that, there are enemies of the church. Right? We know that there are people who hate God and wish to make disciples for themselves to continue a hatred for God. And interestingly enough, there was a, um, an atheist man a few years ago who, uh, he was American, but he produced a documentary for the BBC about the Didache, uh, the British Broadcasting Corporation. And it's one of those that begins with spooky music and says, this document, this ancient Christian document has been discovered and we now know what Christianity was really all about. And of course, he spins it in a way to discredit the deity of Christ, saying it doesn't talk about Jesus being God. Well, no, it doesn't. That doesn't mean it denies the deity of Christ. Um, it is actually a very encouraging document and we're going to go through it and see some of the interesting things that, that are in it. Um, it is essentially a spiritual discipline um, writing. It was written 
most likely to pagans who had come to Christ who didn't have the Old Testament and the Jewish law, um, didn't understand morality. Uh, and so it goes through and gives teaching on what, how a Christian ought to live. Um, but, you know, there's a number of, of ancient documents out there. Did, has anybody ever heard of Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code? It's pretty popular a number of years ago. They made a, he wrote a book and they made a movie about it. The whole purpose of that was try, to try to discredit Christianity. And he took what's known as the, um, the Gnostic Gospels, Gospel of Thomas. Maybe you've heard of some of these, the Epistle of Barnabas. There's a number of these and said, well, these, this is what Christianity was really about. No, those were never accepted by the church. They were written actually several hundred years after the apostles and then credited to like the apostle Thomas and different things, but they're not. Mrs. Unruh's here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I hope your house is, uh, is in order. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. I'll, I'm just, sorry. I was just surprised to see you. Um, so anyway, they, they, there's a number of ancient documents. So anytime somebody goes on a secular broadcast and I don't watch a lot of that and probably like, you know, y'all probably don't watch, but a number of people may, if you're ever witnessing and sharing the gospel, people may bring up some of these things and say, well, I saw on the BBC that Christianity was really like, so really didn't believe in the deity Christ. You know what? That's a, if, whenever you, you hear something like that, red flag should pop up and, and you just say, you know what? They're just wrong. And the more you understand what true early Christian documents we have and understand that the Bible is very much a trustworthy document, you're able to refute some of these silly things that are out there. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to actually read through the Didache. And I think you will find it very edifying. Um, but we'll comment as we go through because there's a, there's a number of very interesting apologetic. You remember one of the the um, reasons I gave for wanting to study church history is to be able to defend the faith. It's an, it's, there's an apologetic element to it. And there's a number of things that come up in the Didache. It's not very long, maybe like one of the shorter books of the Bible, um, but there's some very interesting things. But I want to begin with just a bit of scripture. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6. Um, but I'm going to read, just starting in verse 20, a few verses here. Very familiar passage. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when... And they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven for in the, in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets, but woe unto you that are rich for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, 
Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also unto them likewise. I'll stop there, but very familiar passage, um, Beatitudes, the, uh, the golden rule there. So as I begin reading through this uh, document, the Didache, the first thing you'll recognize is it's very biblical. And it's, it's essentially quoting um, the Gospels, um, probably the Apostle Paul, uh, I think even the book of Revelation, so, um, so if it's quoted in the book of Revelation, obviously it was written after the book of Revelation, but it was uh, almost a contemporary there. Um, but I th again, I think you'll find this encouraging. I actually have two different translations. One is written in Old English, and one is more of a modern English. And the reason I have the two is because some of the Old English actually brings out some elements that you don't see in the modern. Actually, um, it... it uh, has some biblical uh, principles in that there's a more uh, dynamic equivalent translation, which a dynamic equivalent would be something like, more like the NIV, which um, you would read something like, the, the Greek may say, let this sink deeply into your ears. Well, the dynamic equivalent is listen carefully, right? So it's not actually getting the word for word from the Greek, but it gives the idea, right? And so, and as I was reading the two, I saw some of that in here. And so I have this older English one because it helps to, uh, to understand some of the imagery you see in the original Greek. So anyway, let me start and I'll comment as I go along. The two ways is the first section. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. That's actually a quote from Jeremiah. And there is a great difference between the two ways. The way of life is this. First of all, you shall love the God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. Sounding familiar? <laughs> all, things whom, all things you would not want done to you, do not do to another person. And that sounds like the golden rule, Luke 6.31 there. Now the teaching of these words is this. Bless those who curse you and pray for your enemies and fast for those who persecute you. For what credit is to you if you love those who love you? Do the people of the nations not do the same? But you should love those who hate you, and you will not have an enemy. Interesting. Obviously, referencing Scripture, but a little bit different. Abstain from the desires of the flesh and of the body. If anyone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also, and you will be perfect. If anyone compels you to go one mile, go with him for two miles. If anyone takes your coat, give him your shirt also. If anyone takes away what is yours, do not demand it in return, for you cannot. To anyone who asks something of you, give it to him and do not ask for it back. For the Father desires that gifts be given to all from his own riches. Is that not an interesting way to put it? I mean, obviously he's referencing the gospels there, uh, Luke, probably Matthew as well. But I, I like how he put that, that the father desires that gifts be given 
to all from his own riches. So as you as you give, let the Lord be the one to repay you, right? Blessed is he who gives charitably according to the commandment, for he is blameless. Woe to him who receives. If a needy man receives charity, he is blameless. But if anyone is not in need, will be called to account for why he accepted it. That's an interesting <laughs> perspective. <laughs> and being imprisoned, he will be interrogated concerning his actions, and he will not be released until he has repaid every last penny. Um, there's, some, there's some things in here that uh, obviously guys on TBN have probably never read this. And we'll get to some really interesting things. Um, indeed, it has also been said, let your alms sweat into your hands until you have discerned to whom you will give it. And I'm assuming, hold on to the alms in your hands until they get sweaty, until the Lord leads you to how you want to uh, bless other people. Um, who, do you, who is the Lord leading to you to give money to? The second commandment. This is the second commandment of the teaching. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not be sexually perverse. You shall not be sexually promiscuous. You shall not steal. You shall not practice magic. You shall not practice sorcery. You shall not murder a child by abortion nor kill a child at birth. Again, this was written in the first century. Now, and this really stood out to me because there are some churches today who, I mean, literally in the last election, excused the murdering of children by abortion, saying there were other more important things because they didn't like the Republican candidate, right? So, um, and there, I mean, there are churches out there that are literally excusing abortion and will say things like, you know, the church really didn't make a big deal about abortion until after Roe v. Wade. And then the church started making a big deal. No, all the way back to the first century, the church's teaching was you don't commit abortion. And, and you'd also don't kill a child at birth. Um, in the Roman Empire, that was something they would do. They would go lay their baby out in the street if they didn't want it and let the baby die. But abortion was even being practiced back then as well. And the church did not agree with it. Yep, you're right. You're right. So, I mean, it has been the common teaching of scripture or of the church that abortion is wrong. It is, I mean, obviously scripture speaks of unborn children as humans worthy of life. And we don't kill children, whether born or still in the womb. So I found that to be very, um, very interesting that this early church document specifically says you shall not murder a child by abortion or kill a child at birth. And you know, there, there are governments, state governments that are wanting to allow infanticide, allow you to kill a baby even after it's born today. It's evil and we need to oppose it. The church needs to oppose it. All right, the, it goes on. You shall not covet your neighbor's things. You shall not commit perjury. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not speak evil. You shall not bear a grudge. You shall not be double-minded or double-tongued, for the double tongue is a snare of death. Your words shall not be false or empty, but fulfilled in your actions. So in other words, do what you say you're going to do, right? 
You shall not be greedy, nor a swindler, nor a hypocrite, nor a bad-tempered, nor bad-tempered or proud. You shall not plot against your neighbor. You shall not hate any man, but you shall reprove some, and you shall pray for others, and others you shall love more than your own life. I think that is a beautiful way to put it. Don't hate, but you may have to reprove some. And we should pray for all men, as First Timothy says, we should pray for all men. We should pray for others, and we shall love some more than our own life. Um, so that's a, it's somewhat um, the Ten Commandments, though elaborated on a little bit more. The next section, the fences. My child, flee from every evil thing and everything that is like it. That uh, makes me think of the, uh, the scripture, let there not even be an appearance of evil. Um, we were talking about this, actually, as we were driving up to family camp, I was reading this to my children, and, uh, and we just talked about that, that, you know, we, we want to be above reproach, right? And I think of the qualifications for deacons and elders as we should be above reproach, that we don't want there to be even be a hint of evil, we should always live for the glory of God that we may not be a stumbling block to others. Okay. Do not be angry, for anger leads to murder. That sounds like what Jesus said, that even if you are angry with someone in your heart, you have already committed murder, right? Do not be jealous, nor argumentative, nor hot-tempered, for all of these things give birth to murder. We are to be self-controlled. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Be self-controlled. And the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, right? So you can, you can see how this is a very biblical document, and he's taking all these themes from Scripture. My child, do not be lustful, for lust leads to sexual promiscuity. Do not speak obscenely, and do not have wondering eyes, for all of these things give birth to promiscuity. My child, do not deal in omens, since it leads to idolatry. Do not be an enchanter, nor an astrologer, nor a magician. Do not even be around such things, for all these things give birth to idolatry. This makes me think, has anyone heard of the Enneagram? Anybody heard of it? It's one of these personality tests, but it is taken straight out of the occult. And there are a lot of people in churches that have used, oh, it, this stuff really gives, gives insight into personalities. It is straight out of the occult. If you study the background of where this came from, Enneagram, it starts with an E, E-N-I, Enneagram, I have to look it up. But, um, but you know, I read this and, I mean, Scripture is very clear. We're not to deal with sor sorcery and these magic arts. And they'll say, oh, the Enneagram was, you know, it's no longer part of that stuff, but that is its root, was the occult. And we need to be extremely careful in dealing with such things. Okay. Where was I? But, uh, let's see. Okay. My child, do not be a liar, since it leads to theft. Do not be greedy or vain, for all these things give birth to theft. My child, 
be not a complainer since it leads to blasphemy. That's, uh, I think Pastor Hovey has preached a number of sermons about complaining, grumbling, you know. That's, uh, scripture tells us to be content in all things, right? To be content. And when we're complaining and grumbling, that's not being content. But it's interesting, it says it leads to blasphemy. Do not be stubborn, nor evil-minded, nor all these things, uh, for all these things uh, give birth to blasphemy. If you just walked in, so this is a very, very ancient document called the Didache, written in the first century. Um, and so we're just going through it as, uh, just to see what spiritual insight we may glean from it. Um, so I'll keep going. Be meek, since the meek shall inherit the earth. Obviously, the Beatitudes. Be patient and merciful and sincere and quiet and kind and always fearing the words which you have heard. Do not praise yourself and do not let arrogance enter your soul. Do not join your soul with a pompous person, but walk only with the righteous and the humble. Whatever happens to you, accept it as good knowing that nothing is done without God. That's, um, I mean, I think that was Pastor Hubby's sermon last week, wasn't it? <laughs> Whatever happens, accept it as good. Obviously, Romans eight twenty eight. My child, remember him who proclaims to you the word of God. Remember him night and day and honor him as the Lord. For wherever he speaks, the Lord himself is there. Think of the, uh, is it? It's one of the uh, pastoral epistles that says the elder is worth double honor. We're to honor those who, uh, who have been called to preach the word. Every day, seek out the company of the saints that you may find rest in their, soul, in their words. Uh, do not cause division, but bring peace between those who dispute. Judge righteously. Do not favor one side when you reprove others. Do not be double-minded when you consider whether or not a thing should be. Do not hold out your hand to receive, only to pull your hand back when you should give. It is better to give than to receive, right? If you have gained something through your work, give it away as a ransom for your sins. Do not hesitate to give, nor complain when you give, for you know the good paymaster of your reward. God loves a cheerful giver, right? You can see how he's, he's pulling from many different books of the Bible, and which is very interesting because the New Testament had not been canonized at this point. You know, there were still a number of Christians that didn't have all of Paul's letters or have all the gospels. Um, but whoever wrote this had a number of them, at least um, the, some of the gospels and at least some of Paul's writings let's see um, do not turn away from anyone who is in need but share everything with your brother and do not say that anything is your own for if you, if you all share in the heavenly things how much more in earthly things God owns it all right God owns all things and all when we are stewards of what God has given us do not relax your control over your son or your daughter, but from their youth, teach them the fear of God. And, you know, I just think about this from the perspective of a new believer coming from a pagan religion 
And these are just such practical, good teaching that they would never have had before. You know, they were, these pagans were sacrificing their children, you know, and they say, no, you teach them, you teach them the ways of the Lord. Do not give a command in your anger to your servant who trusts in the, in the same God, lest he cease to fear the God who is over both of you. For he does not call men according to worldly status, but he comes to those whom the Spirit has prepared. I believe it was Aaron that talked about um, uh, when he was going through Philemon. And, he, and remember Philemon, uh, Onesimus was his slave, right? And, um, you know, we tend to lose perspective. A number, there are a number of passages. Paul talks about what, how masters should treat their servants, and Peter talks about it as well. Um, in ancient times, when you couldn't just walk down the street and go to a convenience store and get food, you know, there were times where if you're in a, a famine, it is a mercy to have someone come be your servant. You actually feed them and provide for them. So we can't take the modern American um, view of slavery and apply it to Scripture. Um, you know, Scripture, when it talked about slavery, it talked about being kind and taking care of these people. If you just put them out on the street, that was, that was doing them harm. You know, they may not be able to survive that way. So we have to be careful about putting our modern ideas on ancient time. I talked about that in, I think, my first lesson that, uh, what's the word, an anachronism, putting a modern idea onto an ancient thing. That's not really an anachronism, but it's the same thing. We need to be careful about taking the way we think about our modern culture and applying it to ancient times. Um, so again here, just as, as the scripture talks, if, if you were a, a slave owner, you treat your slaves good, remembering that God is over both of you. Okay. And you who are servants, be obedient to your masters as to God in respect and fear. Hate all hypocrisy and everything that is not pleasing to the Lord. Never forsake the Lord's commandments, but you shall guard the things which you have received, neither adding to them nor taking away from them. That again sounds like revelation, doesn't it? Confess your sins to in church and do not go to prayer with a guilty conscience. This is the way of life. The next section, the way of death. And this is what we would call a vice list. <laughs> there are a number of vice lists in scripture. And this is a pretty good one here. The way of death. But the way of death is this. First of all, it is evil and full of curses, murder, adultery, lust, promiscuity, theft, idolatry, magical arts, witchcraft, robbery, false testimony, hypocrisy, duplicity, treachery, pride, malice, stubbornness, greed, foul language, jealousy, arrogance, pride, and boasting, persecutors of good men, hating truth, loving a lie, not knowing the reward of righteousness, not adhering to the good, nor to good judgment, alert to evil rather than to good, neither gentle nor patient, loving worthless things, pursuing a reward, not having mercy on the poor, not working for the downtrodden, not recognizing the God who made them, 
boy, does this apply to today or what? Not recognizing the God who made you. Murderers of children, corruptors of God's creation, turning away from corruptors of God's creation. Jesus said God made them male and female, and there are many who want to corrupt God's creation. Let's see, turning away from the needy, oppressing the afflicted, advocates of the rich, unjust judges of the poor, sinful in every way. May you be delivered, my children, from all these things. It's amazing. 2,000 years ago, how applicable that this is to us today, right? I mean, it's, it is the way of death, as it, as it is described. Conclusion. Uh, this is not actually the end, but it's the conclusion of this section. Beware lest anyone lead you astray from this way of righteousness, for he teaches apart from God. For if you can bear the whole yoke of the Lord, you will be perfect. But if you cannot, do as much as you can. <laughs> I'm that interesting. Okay, let's see. And it gets even more interesting as we go along here. Okay, here we go. Um, instructions for catechumens. Do you know what a catechumen is? Someone in the ancient church who was coming to know the Lord. So the church would actually let people come into church that had not received Christ yet for instruction. They were called a catechumen. Uh, interesting enough, they were not allowed to take the Lord's Supper. Um, and it's, it's actually uh, very interesting. Do you know what the word mass, the Catholic mass means? You know what it means? It means um, it, to be excused. And that's actually where it came from that they would allow people that were unbelievers to come in. And we do this today, right? When, when we have communion, we say, look, if you're welcome to participate, as long as you are a baptized believer, but if you're not, then you should be ex excluded. Well, actually that word, and of course the Catholic church ends up morphing it into something that it was not intended to be, but it actually just means to be excused. And so the church practice was you can come listen, but when it comes to taking, partaking in the, uh, um, the, the, what's the word? The sacrament, um, you, you had to be ex excused. So anyway, this is for catechumens concerning food. Now concerning eating, observe the traditions as best as you can, but do not eat meat sacrificed to idols for it is the worship of dead gods. Okay, this, is a, this next section is really interesting for us Baptists. Concerning baptism. Once, wait, concerning baptism, baptize in this way. Having instructed him in all these teachings, baptize the catechumen in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in running water. So running water would most likely be a river, right? Um, Interesting here, this is a command to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we see in, is it Matthew? Um, now, if you are familiar with some universalists, or not, you know, some oneness, or uh, Unitarians, actually. Right, so the oneness Pentecostals are also known as Jesus only, because they only baptized in the name of Jesus. And they claim that the passage in scripture 
was not uh, was actually written later, even though there's no evidence for it. They also claim the Didache uh, is not early first century. <laughs> it's not written in the first century because, again, it says to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting, um, just a little bit of an apologetic for those who deny the Trinity. Um, so baptized in running water. It also, um, we're baptized, Baptists. We believe in immersion, right? Um, so listen to the rest of this. It's, it's very interesting. But if you do not have running water, then baptize in other water. And if you cannot in cold water, use warm. <laughs> that sounds a little backwards. I think, though, it's opposed to, like, if you're baptizing a river, it's going to be fairly chilly, probably. If you have a pool of water, it's probably going to get warm. And so it's better to do it in running water than in a stagnant pool of water. But if you use what you have, right? And this actually, uh, as we continue to go on, you see you're allowed to use what you have. It says, if you cannot in cold, use warm. But if you have neither, then pour water on the head three times in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you can see how if you are in a desert climate, which meant much of the early church was in a desert climate, you didn't have a pool of water or a river nearby, they allowed you to pour. So you can see how the practice that even the, the Presbyterian church, I believe the Methodists still do today, they will sprinkle water. You can see how that developed. But the original practice was submersion. Now, I have many brothers who are Presbyterians and, and still practice that. We can agree to disagree, but... Um, this, to me, supports the Baptist view on, uh, on baptism. Um, let's see. And oh, here we go. I think I'm going to ask Pastor Hovey about um, starting this practice. And before the baptism, let both the baptizer and the catechumen fast, and also any others who are able, and be sure that the catechumen fast a day or two before. <laughs> But you see how seriously they take the sacrament that you should fast before. Now, this also speaks to it was a believer being baptized, right? Not an infant. Because you're not going to have an infant fast for a couple of days before they're baptized. And um, it says that they um, consider all these things. Um, and you see that in uh, one of the... Um, in, in Acts, one of the times where it says that they should be baptized in their whole family, usually um, Presbyterians will use that as, well, you see it was the whole family, even the children being baptized, but it actually also says that they need to observe and remember these things. So a, an infant is not going to remember these things, right? Okay. Concerning fasting, do not let your fast fall on the same days as the hypocrites, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, keep your fast on Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Fridays. I actually do not know what that is referring to, but there is something interesting about this. This is where I want to go over to uh, this older English version. So it says, And let not your fasting be with the hypocrites, for they fast on the second and fifth day of the week. But do ye keep your fast on the fourth day? and on the preparation, the sixth day. And why I bring that up, that word preparation, you see that in scripture um, when Jesus, he died on preparation day, right? There are some people who say, well, 
because Jesus was supposed to be buried for three whole days. So Jesus couldn't have been crucified on Friday. It must have been like Wednesday. Have you ever encountered anybody? I've met a few people who believe that. Um, I believe that's a misunderstanding of scripture and understanding of how the Hebrews kept their time. But what is really interesting, and I, I challenge you to go home and do this if you got an internet connection or you have a Greek dictionary, go home and you can do this with Blue Letter Bible. Look up the passages in the Gospels which talk about when Jesus was died, and it'll say on Preparation Day. And go to, go to Blue Letter Bible and look up that word preparation. And there's a Greek word. I don't remember what the Greek is. but And then highlight that Greek word with the Greek letters, copy it. And then go over to Google and go to Google Translate and go to Greek to English. And plop that Greek word for preparation down in Google Translate. Anybody have a guess what the English word will come out as? It's a really interesting trick. The English word that pops out is Friday. Which is pretty interesting. And uh, so anyway, try that. Try that when you get home. But anyway, so the, this one translates it on preparation day. That's That was actually what the Greek word is whereas this newer one just says Friday. Okay, because the Greek, again today, means Friday, which is pretty interesting. Okay, concerning prayer. Do not pray as the hypocrites either, but pray as the Lord commanded in his gospel. And you will recognize this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power and the glory unto ages of ages. Pray uh, this way three times each day. Oh, it's, that's interesting. Pray three times this day. You know, when there are many good practices that have been taught and they obviously wanted their church to pray three times a day. Um, pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And that can be a very edifying experience as we pray. We, sh we need to pray without ceasing. But <clears throat> if you tell someone who is not convicted that they need to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, that you need to pray three times a day, that is where it can become legalism, right? Because they don't have the conviction to do it. And you can see how over history uh, practices came in to play that originally started with, with good intentions, right? Good people wanting to honor God, yet they became, because you, you read that and you kind of think of Catholic prayers and doing these things, right? Um, you're right, right, exactly. You're exactly right. That's what the Pharisees uh, did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but we, you know, we need to, we should be praying. I mean, Paul said, pray without ceasing, right? Um, but we have to be careful when we start putting the, those practices on other people that haven't been convicted by the Lord to do those things. Okay. Concerning the Eucharist, the Eucharist is communion. Maybe, have y'all heard that word, the Eucharist? It's, it's, uh, especially if you were in Catholic church, you would have heard that term probably. Um, now, concerning the Eucharistic thanksgiving, Give thanks in this way. First, as concerning the cup, we give thanks, we, we give you thanks, our Father, 
for the holy wine of your son, David, which you made known to us through your son, Jesus. Yours is the glory unto ages and ages. Then as regards to the broken bread, we give thanks. We give you thanks, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through your son, Jesus. Yours is the glory unto ages and ages. As this broken bread was scattered upon the mountains and being gathered together became one. Sorry, here we go. So may your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth unto your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ unto the ages. Do not let anyone eat or drink of this Eucharist who has not been baptized unto the name of the Lord. For concerning this, the Lord has said, do not give the holy things to the dogs. That is an interesting usage of that verse. I believe that comes from the, uh, the Syrophoenician woman who asked for the, to heal her, her daughter or son. And Jesus said, I shall throw the, what is holy to the dogs. But then he does because of her faith, right? Um, and after you have been filled, give thanks as follows. We give, we give you thanks, Holy Father, for your holy name, which you have made to dwell in our hearts, and for the knowledge and faith and immortality, which you have made known unto us through your Son, Jesus. Yours is the glory unto the ages. You, Almighty Master, created all things for your name's sake, and give food and drink to men for their enjoyment, that they might give you thanks. And you have given us spiritual food and drink and eternal life through your Son. Most of all, we give you thanks that you are powerful. Yours is the glory unto ages of ages. Remember, Lord, your church, and deliver it from all evil, and to perfect it in thy love. Gather it, the sanctified one, together from the four winds into your kingdom, which you have prepared for it. For yours is the power and the glory unto ages of ages. May grace come upon, I'm sorry, may grace come and may this world pass away. Hosanna to the God of David. If any man is holy, let him come. If any man is not, let him repent. Maranatha, amen. But permit the prophets to offer thanksgiving as much as they desire. Prophets probably meaning the pastors or preachers. Um, anyway, that's uh, it really, you can see how the, the Lord's Supper there is taken very seriously as a thanksgiving to God, which we do today as we take the Lord's Supper. I know as I pray with my family, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood and for breaking your body for me. Concerning the ointment, and concerning the ointment, give thanks as follows. We give, thank, we give you thanks, our Father, for the fragrant ointment, which you have made known to us through your Son, Jesus. Yours is the glory unto ages of ages. I'm not sure if that may be talking about anointing oil. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what that's referring to. The approved teacher, whoever comes and teaches you all these things that have been taught before, receive him. But if the teacher himself turns aside and teaches a different doctrine that subverts what has been taught before, do not listen to him. 
If his teaching fosters righteousness and the knowledge of the Lord, receive him as the Lord. So stay away from hypocrites. <laughs> um, life in the community is the next section. And there's some uh, rather interesting things in here. I'll try to get through this uh, kind of fast. Um, concerning apostles and prophets, act according to the gospel's teaching, uh, receive every apostle as the Lord. He should not stay for more than a single day. So in this time, there were traveling evangelists. And you know, remember, the church is still pretty small at this point. And there's just pockets of believers in different places. And so they were traveling evangelists. I mean, Paul was a traveling evangelist, right? He went around. Um, but it's interesting what they say. He should not stay for more than a single day or two days if necessary. But if he remains for three days, he is a false prophet. <laughs> when he leaves, let the apostle receive nothing except bread until he finds a place to stay. But if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. Again, I don't think the guys on TBN, <laughs> the guys on TBN probably never read this. And if they did, they burned it very quickly. Um, but I mean, so even back then, there obviously there were, there were people that say, hey, I can make money off of this, right? Um, so it's, it's interesting. Do not test or judge any prophet who speaks in the spirit. Every other sin will be forgiven, but this sin will not be forgiven. And not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet, but only he who follows the ways of the Lord. From his behavior, then, you will know a false prophet from a true prophet. Any prophet who orders a meal in the spirit will not eat from it. But if he does not, but if he does eat of it, he is a false prophet. Any prophet who teaches the truth, but does not do the things he teaches is a false prophet. Every true prophet, if he performs a worldly mystery of the church, but does not teach others to do likewise, he must not be judged by you, but has his judgment in the presence of God as with prophets of old. If anyone says in the spirit, give me money, do not listen to him. But if he tells you to give to others who are in need, let no one judge him. Anybody going to go watch Benny Hinn this afternoon? <laughs> I'm sorry. There are many who are constantly requesting money. And uh, obviously that was not a, uh, a practice approved of. Hospitality to travelers. A few more minutes. Receive everyone who comes in the name of the Lord. Examine him and learn the nature of his situation. If he is only passing through, help him as much as you can. But if he must not, but he must not stay with you more than two or three days. If he wishes to settle with you uh, and know and knows a trade, let him work and earn his bread. If he does not know a trade, use your judgment and decide how he should live as a Christian among you, but not in idleness. If he will not do this, he is trafficking upon Christ. Beware of such men. So no freeloaders. Supporting God's ministers, every true prophet who desires to settle among you is worthy of his food. Likewise, a true teacher. Likewise, the worker deserves his food. Take every, so this is someone who's settled and become essentially a pastor of your local church. Take every first fruit of the wine press and of the threshing floor of your oxen and of your sheep and give it as first fruits to the prophets for they are your high priest. But if you do not have a prophet, give your first fruits to the poor. That's interesting. So again, in a small community, you may not have a pastor um, to fund. So you still, you still tithe, right? You still give your first fruits. You give them to the poor. 
Let's see, almost done here. Um, one more interesting. If you, if you make bread, take the first fruit and give according to the commandment. Likewise, when you open a jug of wine or oil, take the first fruit and give it to the prophets. And so with money and clothing and every position, take the first fruit as it seems appropriate to you and give according to the commandment. The sacrifice. Gather together each Sunday. Now here's another one. I wanted to look back at this other translation because of what it says, gather together each Sunday. And in this one, it says, and on the Lord's own day, gather yourselves together and break bread. So again, there are some who say we, sh we need to observe church on Saturday, but this, the Lord's own day, that is a direct in the book of Revelation. It says, it uses that phraseology, the Lord's day. And that has always been known by the church as Sunday, the Lord's day, because that is the day he raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. Um, all right, I think we're about done here. Uh, one last little section. Uh, there is a section on eschatology, and it's just a short section. They had a very simple eschatology here titled, The Lord is Coming. It says, watch over your life. Do not let your lamps burn out, nor your waists be ungirded, but be ready. For you do not know when our Lord is coming and gather together frequently, seeking what is necessary for your souls. For all your years of faith will count for nothing unless you are perfected in the last days. In the last days, false prophets and corruptors will multiply, and the sheep will turn into wolves, and love will be turned to hate, and lawlessness increases. Men will hate and persecute and betray one another, and then the deceiver of the world will appear as the Son of God, and will do signs and wonders, and the earth will be delivered into his hands. He will commit abominations which have never been seen since the world began. Then all mankind will come to the fire of testing, and many will fall and perish. But those who endure in their faith will be saved by him who was accursed. And then shall the signs of the truth appear. First, a sign of a rift in the heavens, then a sign of the voice of the trumpet, and thirdly, the resurrection of the dead, yet not, all, yet not of all, but as it was said, the Lord shall come and all his saints with him. Then shall the world see the Lord coming upon the clouds of heaven with power and dominion to repay each man according to his works with justice before all men and the angels. Amen. That is the Didache. I hope you found it encouraging. I, I have found it encouraging just reading through it. And you can see there's some things that we can learn and, and be equipped to defend our faith. So if you ever hear about the Didache from somewhere else and they try to make it out to be something other than it's not, y'all have all heard it read to you. So I hope you found it beneficial and let's pray and uh, get ready for church. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. We thank you for these encouraging words based upon scripture. And we pray that we would be faithful we will be faithful unto your coming, or you should call us home. Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. And I ask your blessing on this day. In Jesus' name, amen.